0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. That was some kind of weekend, wasn't it, everybody? Some kind of weekend. I still don't have my voice back. Thought for sure I'd feel better by Monday, but I don't really. Uh, I feel... So maybe I should amend that. I I do feel better. Uh, You just can't tell... And my sinuses are still so plugged up internally that I can't really hear what I'm saying. So it's this weird blend of not really having my voice, but also feeling like I need to yell all the time. And so uh, the voice doesn't really come back as quickly as it ought to. But the Iron Man streak lives on, even with some uh, intermittent sips of water in the mix. And We're going to get through this thing. Again, it won't be the world's longest show. I do apologize for that. At some point, I'm actually going to be fully healthy again. It just might not be until after cold and flu season is over because I got, I got two young kids, and they are, they've are. they turned this home into a cesspool. I said this on Vison this morning. The great Gil Alexander was kind enough to have me on today. I, I don't ever really miss the COVID times, But I do kind of miss the fact that kids had to wear masks because then my kids weren't sick all the time. I get it. Like, if you have a kid who's 9 or 10 or 11 or whatever it is where they're not sick like every second of every day, it's much easier for them to not have to wear masks, be able to interact with the other children in their class and, like, see what expressions their friends are making and all that good stuff. But when your kids are really, really young and all they do is get sick, like a... (laughs) Selfishly, I kind of wish that they weren't just licking each other and whatever happens in preschool and my oldest is in kindergarten right now. I mean, I know a lot of you guys know what I'm talking about, but let's dive into this thing. I am Dan Vesperis. I am at Dan Vesperis on Twitter. I'm going to do my best not to cough in your ear at any point during today's podcast, but I make no promises. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Fantasy NBA Today is a Sports Ethos presentation. I just, I, it, I just don't feel like myself when I can't really get super excited about stuff on the pod. But obviously, the big news, uh, two pieces, oddly, of big news. You guys know I'm going to say Kyrie Irving is now a member of the Dallas Mavericks. But the other big news is that Steph Curry got hurt over the weekend. The initial report was that he was going to be out through the All-Star break. The report, as of a few minutes ago, earlier this morning, is that he will likely miss a minimum of four weeks. They've still left a little bit of wiggle room there. They said he could miss a minimum of four weeks. I would be really surprised if Steph missed less than those four weeks. I know that they've sort of left the door open for things to improve quickly, uh, but they've... I'm not even going to get into the, the nomenclature of what actually happened to to Steph. It's uh lots of long medical words, but most folks are saying that it's it's like the equivalent, basically, of a really, really bad high ankle sprain. And those are not two-week injuries. Those are four-week injuries. Five, six weeks. You saw it with LeBron. It lasts forever. Was that last year or the year before? Honest to goodness, I can't even remember anymore. Uh, but Steph is back out again. Kyrie's a Maverick. Let's start talking about the weekend. So it's It's reverse chronological lightning round time, but I have to kind of tweak it a little bit because you've got these three teams basically the Nets, the Mavs, and the Warriors, where we kind of need to talk about the big news. And the box score, if we're going to look at what they did over the weekend, it doesn't really tell us what's going to happen going forward. So we're going to do 27 teams of reverse chronological lightning round. But I want to talk about the three most important ones right here at the front end. Let's talk about the Warriors first because that's just a one-player, one-team thing going on. And we did get a little bit of a hint at it over the weekend, but more than anything, we can kind of remember what happened with the Warriors the last time Steph was out. As you guys, those of you watching live on YouTube can see me flashing around between webpages right now. When Steph was out last time, Jordan Poole was the guy who took a truckload of shots. It was fairly straightforward. Now, I, I there were folks on Twitter that were talking to me about Dante DiVincenzo, and I did mention that he might be able to claw his way towards value, but it's also worth pointing out that the last time Steph was out, Andrew Wiggins was largely out too. Wiggins hasn't been even anything resembling his early season self lately, but... He is playing. That's what it comes down to. He's on the court, and he's playing 30 minutes a ballgame, or 30-plus, or whatever it comes out to be. That Warriors-Mavericks game was not really as close as the final score might have indicated. Uh, but, look, Wiggins played 28.5 minutes in that game on Saturday, and... Steph left after 25 minutes when he got hurt, so he, he managed to make it through most of the ballgame. Dante DiVincenzo got 24 minutes. We've seen him. He can push up into that 30 range off the bench, but if you're expecting him to see a usage bump the way he got last time, it is going to be severely impacted by the fact that Wiggins is not also on the pine. What does that mean? Well, it means that DiVincenzo is a question mark. You know, if we knew that Wiggins and Steph were out, which is not the case, Andrew seems to be, even if he's playing poorly, he seems to at least be like well enough to be upright and on a basketball court. He's out there. If he wasn't out there, I'd say, yeah, go pick up Dante DiVincenzo. He did more than enough when those two guys were out. The fact that he isn't, I really think leaves Dante right on that borderline where he might have value, He might have value for two games, then he might not for two games. He feels more like a 50-50 proposition to me where head-to-head side, that's an easier call to make. When someone's good 50% of the time, when they're not the other 50%, they settle in a a playable spot on the head-to-head side, provided they have a good schedule coming up, which I actually don't think the Warriors do, if memory serves. I think they only have five games between now and the All-Star break. Is that right? It's either five or six, so it's not a ton. Uh they go tonight, they go Wednesday, and then they go Saturday this week, and then I think they have two games before the break next week. So I think they got five, which is like fine. It's not special, it's not awful, but you know, if you were gonna try to stream DiVincenzo, you'd probably want to do it not at the beginning of this week, but probably more towards the end. Because they go Saturday, Monday, Tuesday next week. Uh, and that's when you'd get like three games in four nights. But as far as if you're looking at like the roto side, there's probably not enough there. The steals have to remain super high, which you know they can't forever. You know he's averaging two steals a ball game over his last four or five games. That just doesn't stick forever. He's not a two steals a game guy. He had that eleven assist game mixed in there, but more recently it's been three, five, one, two. It, even with Steph out, I think it probably does stay more in the two to five range. And then he's hit three and four three-pointers his last two ball games, But leading up to that, it was more like averaging around two per game. So he, he classifies as a pretty prototypical three and D kind of guy. Not going to score a ton of points. Not going to rebound a ton. Probably not going to assist a ton. Not going to get that big bump in usage that he got when Wiggins was out. So I don't think I'd go overboard for him. Similarly, as we look at the Kyrie to the Mavericks trade, and I talked a tiny bit about this on YouTube during our pregame show, if you want another reason to kind of uh, come over and hang out with us on that part of the thing. When the dust settles here, we have no idea who's going to be on both of these teams. And that's another point that I almost need to make before we get into the Mavs and Nets side of this, is this is trade deadline week. We have three days until the trade deadline, uh, and a couple of hours from the time of us recording this podcast, three days and a couple of hours, about two and change, uh, it's highly likely that the Nets won't look the same now as they do when the deadline passes on Thursday. Does that mean Kevin Durant asks for a trade? I don't know. KD strikes me as a guy that now is probably going to want to stay put. I have no idea. Maybe he, does, maybe he does want this to be the end of the road. Maybe he really only did want to play as long as Kyrie was there. I don't know. We, we saw the Nets call KD on his bluff, and then he came out and he's just been an absolute stud all season long. You know, probably helped that the team was pretty good for a little bit there. I, they're still going to be okay, but, you know, without Kyrie, they're not going to be quite as explosive. What does K, KD want? I have no idea. But could they move Dorian Finney-Smith? or Royce O'Neal, who are sort of redundant pieces as, you know, big wings, who are very good at what they do. I like both of them, but there really isn't a space for both of them to play, provided, especially if Ben Simmons comes back. Uh, We've already seen that Seth Curry and Joe Harris are fairly redundant for that Nets team. Now you bring Dinwiddie in, he's going to get to play. So, to one end, we start the Brooklyn side, you know, the, the guys involved in the big Kyrie trade are probably not going to play today. It sounds like no one's ready to go. It sounds like physicals still need to be completed. So, fine. Like, if you have an infinite number of roster moves to make, you could pick up someone like a Cam Thomas or an Edmund Sumner. These guys went big over the weekend. But you probably only get one game out of them before Dinwiddie and uh, DFS show up. And all of these guys could be somewhere else on Thursday morning or Tuesday morning, or Wednesday morning. It doesn't have to be on trade deadline Thursday. We just saw this with Kyrie, who, you know, he obviously asked for a trade, and that expedited the process. But it doesn't all have to happen on Thursday morning either. So, save your roster moves. There's no one on any of the three teams involved in the big news of the morning. The Warriors, the Mavs, the Nets. There's no one on any of those three teams that is a lock for 12-team fantasy value the rest of the season that wasn't already on a roster. Spencer to witty on rosters. Kyrie, obviously, on rosters. Dorian Finney-Smith was hovering kind of in between. He's not a lock for value. He was someone that I was actually streaming while Luca was out, but, you know, <laughs> a lot of good. That does me now. So I would not race out unless you were able to use the move last week. Like if you got Cam Thomas or Edmund Sumner or whatever, you know, over the weekend when they were going big, sure, you can ride them. In fact, I probably would. You know, I would ride them even probably through a game where the new guys show up. That's how badly I don't want to use a roster move before we see some of the dominoes fall this week. And it's not because I think that there are going to be four... I'm going to use four as the example because that's the Yahoo default. It's not that I think there are going to be four guys that emerge on Thursday morning. There are very rarely, in fact, four guys on trade deadline Thursday that go from not having fantasy value and being free agents in fantasy leagues to having fantasy value and needing to get picked up. It's usually more like one, sometimes two. Sometimes zero. I think last year we might have had none. But you almost always have something to do on trade deadline morning. It might be a guy on your team. You might be riding a veteran like an Alec Burke. So I know I had a bad game over the weekend, but he profiles to me as a guy that is getting playing time leading up to the deadline that probably doesn't see as much after it. So he might be a guy that you want to punt on on Thursday afternoon. You might want to have a move to, use, to do that. You also might, and uh, actually this is, it was, it was asked to me in sort of a tongue-in-cheek manner on Twitter, like how many guys can you really pick up? How many ads could there possibly be on Thursday morning? That's the thing. Sometimes there's a trade on Thursday morning, and 45 minutes later there's another trade that wipes it out. There might be a guy who looks like he's a huge winner, In a trade on Thursday at like 9.30 in the morning Pacific time, and on 10.30, he gets moved to another spot where he's not going to play at all. You don't want to wait that hour to pick him up in case he doesn't get moved. You might end up using two or three roster moves on Thursday morning revolving around one player on back-to-back trades. So it's not about having four roster spaces on Thursday morning. Absolutely not. You should not be stashing four players. You should not be picking up four players on trade deadline Thursday. It's almost no chance that their four guys are interesting. For a couple of reasons. Number one, we've already picked up Mark Williams, right? We've been talking about that for two weeks. He's the guy you really want to be squatting on. If you added a little bit more room, you might have picked up Tari Eason. We've seen him, but for one game where they, you know, his unit on the floor was getting run, he's been really good lately. If the Rockets move a forward at the deadline like a K.J. Martin or a J. Sean Tate. They're not going to move Jabari Smith Jr. They're not going to move Alpert and Shengun, but these guys that so perhaps are, are jacking some of the backup power forward minutes and forcing Eason back to the bench, maybe he does pick up a minute or two. Or maybe someone else slides into the small forward bucket that was playing at a bigger spot on the floor. That opens up a couple minutes at that bigger spot for Eason. Or maybe they just play him a couple minutes at small forward, which they have not been particularly willing to do so far in Houston, but he's been so damn good lately that I don't know how they keep him at like 22 minutes. We only need 24 or 25. And then Zach Collins is another guy who, if you're sort of more into the slightly lower upside, but slightly higher floor type of deadline stash. These guys are probably, you've made up your mind on these guys before this week. So you don't even need to have roster moves ready for those guys. Those dudes you should already be sitting on. Your roster move on Thursday is if those guys don't get pushed into additional time, then you can move off of them to someone else on Thursday afternoon. Or Friday, if you want to stream someone over the weekend. You don't need to have all four roster moves for Thursday morning. You might use two of them on Thursday. You might want to still have a couple for the weekend. If you want to go back to streaming... All I would say is, if you're going to stream this week, please don't do more than one move between today and Wednesday. That's what I would ask you. Leave at least three of your four weekly moves available between today and Wednesday. And don't do anything with the Mavs and don't do anything with the Nets until we see what's next for them. And that includes Josh Green. I got a bunch of Josh Green questions on Twitter as well. Uh, I think he probably profiles as a 14-teamer the way the Mavs are currently constructed. But now we're hearing that the Mavs might entertain moving Christian Wood. That might shift everybody around. That would give Josh Green more opportunity unless, who knows, who comes back? A setter? A power forward? Who returns in a deal like that? It's so hard to know what these teams are going to look like in three days. Especially the ones that just were involved in the Kyrie trade, that I would say the upside just isn't high enough to go out and pick up someone that you hope pans out. I would say wait and make some of those moves a little bit later. So there's your show opening 16-minute rant on trade deadline week and those three teams. We are going to go hyper lightning round now over the weekend. Let's start with Sunday and start working our way through Orlando was at Charlotte. There was almost nothing to take away from this one. Fantasy-wise, Jonathan Isaac played 11 minutes instead of 10. Tick tick, 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 The very slow uptick. Nobody cares. You know He's a keeper league guy. He's a games cap guy. You're treating him like he's still injured if you're sitting on him in a games cap format. Charlotte still only giving Mark Williams 17 minutes, and he's still providing fantasy value in only 17 minutes somehow. Mason Plumlee simply has to get traded. If they don't, That's front office malpractice, but, you know, at least everybody else is playing well. Terry Rozier is a threat to be moved. Gordon Hayward is a threat to be moved. Hayward's been awful all season anyway, so who cares? There's a lot of guys that could get shifted in Charlotte. I don't think Rozier's role gets better somewhere else because very few teams are playing as fast as the Hornets do, but you know what? At least Rozier's been playing well lately, and we're finally able to kind of cash in on all of those buy low offers He's up to number 80, believe it or not, per game on the season now. After effectively like two and a half months of being almost unplayable. He's uh, top 30 over the last month. He's the second, third round range over the last month. Let's keep moving. I said I was going to go fast. Cleveland at Indiana. Uh, Ricky Rubio got up to 20 minutes and he had nine assists. He's sort of inching up on assist specialist but 20 minutes still isn't quite enough and he's not going to play in back-to-backs which we already know he's out tonight so he doesn't make sense on the head-to-head side for that region uh reason because you're not going to get the excellent schedule indiana honestly like I, i and i mean this in the kindest way possible i hope indiana keeps losing ball games because i'd love to see them selling at the deadline i think it would be more fun for the deadline they're 25-30. and 30. They have now fallen behind the Wizards uh, for the last play-in spot. They're tied with the Raptors in that slot. Uh, you know Those teams that are hovering right on the border there, the Wizards, the Pacers, the Raptors, those guys could, and Bulls if you want to go one higher, those teams could really dramatically impact how fun the trade deadline is. But we don't know for now. So for now, we lie and wait. Nothing of note on the Cleveland side. No, I don't care about Isaac Okoro playing a little bit better. That means nothing to me. Nothing. Philly, uh, they just... That's a weird ball game. They just didn't play well. Harden didn't shoot the ball well. Embiid didn't shoot the ball well. Knicks defended pretty well. Knicks hadn't been playing that great of late. uh, But they played better in this one for whatever, you know. I didn't think the Knicks played all that well either. There were a ton of fouls in this game on both sides. Knicks had 39 free throws. Sixers shot 36 foul shots. Fantasy-wise, Isaiah Hartenstein foul out in 26 minutes. He does look like the more reliable fill-in now uh, for Mitchell Robinson. So go ahead and, and add Isaiah Hartenstein. Yep, you heard me. He's a stream. And cut it loose. But Robinson, I think, is supposed to be back in the next, like, three weeks. So, you know, you get what you can get. D'Anthony Melton back up to 36 minutes. He vastly outplayed Tyrese Maxey in this one, and that's why his minutes were back higher again. He's a hold for me regardless. Toronto came back and beat Memphis. There's weird stuff swirling around the Grizzlies right now. At least Desmond Bain had a good ball game. John Morant sat this one out. Uh, I mean, the story is just so crazy, and I and I feel like I would muck up the details if I tried to talk about it. But if you guys don't know what I'm referring to, there was some sort of altercation between the grizzlies and the pacers when they played where pacers players thought that an suv that john morant was riding in may have pointed a gun at one of their cars i don't actually know what's real in this yet so i you know feel free to read more about it the details are still sort of slowly emerging right now i don't know if that actually played a role in why morant was not on the floor in this ball game but obviously, anytime he sits, Tyus Jones is a Mondo streamer. Uh, that's an easy call. JJJ played, but Dylan Brooks was suspended, and Santi Aldama actually slid down and started the small forward spot. That surprised the heck out of me. I don't know that I trust Aldama uh, as a small forward instead of a power forward, but he did put up pretty good numbers in this ball game. He's just one of those guys that, like, if you said Dan would you trust him with a games cap right now? I would say no. And then you say Dan would you use a roster move on trade deadline week on him? I would also say no. So you know, maybe we miss out on a game or two here of Aldama playing better, but I'm actually okay with that. Cuz it's not a rest of season thing. We know that. So what's the worst case scenario? We miss a couple of ball games. It's worth mentioning, by the way, that the Grizzlies have tipped back towards Xavier Tillman as the starting center, which is a damn shame because his fantasy profile is not nearly as good as Brandon Clark's. Clark, in 25 minutes, is going to do more than Tillman in 32. Right now, they're just splitting the center minutes, basically. Uh, you know, more or less, they could you know slide JJJ up if they wanted to every once in a while. Uh, and as it stands, Tillman's a hard stream because he's mostly rebounds and steals and is, you know, he's going to hurt you at the free throw line and he doesn't do a whole lot else. And then Clark is a guy who helps you because he has field goals, rebounds, steals, blocks, all that stuff, but he's just not out there enough right now. So if you have either one of these guys on your team, don't use a roster move to get off of them this week. If you don't have them, Tillman makes more sense. But I don't think that I would make that move this week either. I just think I'd rather wait for something that could truly move the needle. In the same way, this is the same way I feel about Chris Boucher right now, who had a really, really good ball game, but he could disappear in their next one. The Raptors are a team deciding between buyer and seller, probably based on whether or not they can get Kevin Durant. Pascal Siakam, we know he's on the block. Uh, OG Ananobi is on the block. Gary Trent is on the block, Freddie Van Vliet is on the block, Scotty Barnes is probably the only guy on the team that isn't. So, similar thing. If you're streaming Precious Achua, just keep doing it. If you don't have Precious Achua, honestly, he's been good enough to where you could probably pick him up and like provided anyone in the Raptors is out, he's been good enough to stream lately. But he was probably picked up last week in your league anyway. So like what are we even what are we even doing here? He's not available to stream in your league anymore. Thad Young had a nice ball game, but again, you're not making a move on him. You're not making a move on Chris Boucher. Save those moves this week. Neither one of these is a big enough needle mover. New Orleans blew out the De'Aaron Foxless Sacramento Kings, who have been extremely healthy this year. Uh, Fox is out for personal reasons. It's the birth of his child. We don't know what the exact status is day-to-day of that one. Um, He'll be back when he's ready. These things take time. Those of you that are not parents yet, I don't want to, like, parents explain anything to you, but sometimes it takes a little while for the kid to come out. Sometimes there are surgeries involved. Sometimes, believe it or not, the dads are needed. So he'll be back when he's back. Um, fortunately for the Kings, they are in the third slot right now. Unfortunately for the Kings, they've slumped a little bit lately. They've been fine. You know, they're... They still have 30 games left, and they're already at 29 wins. So my my season win total bet, I still feel pretty damn good about there. Uh, but they are only a game up on the Clippers, game and a half up on the Suns, two on the Mavs and Wolves, two and a half on the Warriors, the Pels. So they are in a little bit more jeopardy of falling back into that please keep me out of the play-in spot grouping. Uh, but I'm not going to worry about that until, until or unless we see Fox or Sabonis actually have to miss extended time, which isn't the case right now. Uh, the team just isn't as good without Fox. He's their closer. He's the guy that goes and gets them the big bucket when things are going wrong. And in this ballgame, some things went wrong, and nobody was able to kind of steady the ship. So throw it out. Dump the box. Over on the New Orleans side, Brandon Ingram sat in this ballgame. Trey Murphy's actually been playing really well anyway. He's been able to stay above the streamline, even with Ingram back. That was my fear. Could he or Herb Jones actually maintain... Herb is a steel specialist. I don't think that I would go down that path, but Trey deserves to be played. Ingram didn't play in this ballgame, mind you, so there was more available for Trey Murphy. Uh, but it does seem like he's been kind of efficient enough lately where he's been playable anyway. Um, we still don't have a, a story on Zion. All right, so I have to I have to put everything in the lens of would I pick up a guy and use a roster move this week? Trey Murphy, I think I would. I know he's not available in a lot of leagues, but if he's out there, I think I would use one of my four moves this week. Uh, if Trey Murphy's a free agent. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas, dealing with a knee injury. It sounds like he's listed as doubtful for the Pells' next ball game, which means he's probably gonna miss a couple of ball games. Larry Nance is a really, really, really good streamer. Um boy, that's a tough one. Head to head. Yeah, you know what? I think I probably would use a move on Nance also. He's, Nance is like a top 100 to 125 range guy, even when JV is in there these days. JV out, starter level Nance, I know we only played 20 minutes in this ballgame, but it was a blowout. Nance was a plus 37 in his 20 minutes of this ballgame. So like if this ballgame was even remotely close to competitive, he would have played 27 to 30 minutes. Nance in 27 to 30 minutes is a top 50 fantasy guy. That's a guy I use a roster move on, even if I'm only getting one or two games out of him. Head-to-head, Roto, whatever, that's worth the move, in my eyes. Because he's going to be okay, even, even if JV comes back. He's not a guy that you have to like immediately drop, even if Valanchunas comes back early, or earlier than we expect. And Minnesota blew out the zombie Nuggets. You can throw out the Nuggets side of the box score. Uh, Slow mo left early with back spasms again, but they came out after the ball game and they said it was precautionary that he would have played through it if this ball game was not a blowout. So don't worry about it. That's the that's my take on that one. All right, let's go back to Saturday. The first game. From Saturday, Washington at Brooklyn. Uh, Kyle Kuzma tweaked his ankle in this ballgame, and Bradley Beal missed it. So it completely upended anything that we were learning about the Wizards. Uh, Corey Kispert played 37 minutes. Denny Avdia got 34. Monte Morris played 33. Those guys got a ton of shots they wouldn't otherwise get. Kuzma is expected to miss a game or two. It doesn't sound too serious. Beal is testing his foot Today. Uh, So he's a game-time decision, which makes a lot of the stuff on the Wizards really difficult from that whole do I or don't I use a roster move on it. I'm inclined to say yes on Gafford. He was the one that I really wanted to see. The fact that he got 26 minutes in their previous game when everybody was healthy and 30 minutes in this one, which, again, I mean, that... Kuzma's injury probably the reason that he saw an extra couple of minutes because they could throw Kristaps at power forward and play those guys together a little bit more uh, than if Kuz was healthy. But even if Gafford maintains 26 minutes, that's enough for him. So I would use a move on Daniel Gafford. I think he's going to have fantasy value possibly rest of season. Now, again, trade deadline. if The Wizards decide they want to be sellers, buyers, whatever it might be. That could dramatically... Uh, reshape things but like let's say bradley beal gets moved out everybody gets a bump there even if someone comes back they're not going to have the impact on things that beal had going out <laughs> unless it's russell westbrook i guess um uh, monte Morris, this guy you're not picking him up unless you find out beal is going somewhere long term uh denny avdia kind of the same thing for me like He's shown himself to be a really interesting and well-rounded fantasy player. I know he missed a bunch of free throws in this game, but try to ignore that. He's not a great foul shooter, but he's not usually this bad. He gets some threes, some boards, some assists, some steals. We've talked about it on the show before. His best value comes when ball handlers are out. His minutes stay relatively high most of the time. It's the usage for Avdia that fluctuates. And we've talked about it before. When Beal is out, that's when he gets his big bump. So of everybody on this Washington side, the one that I think I probably would use a roster move on is Daniel Gafford. Now, if you're debating between this and, like, we're talking about the Pelicans, Gafford probably has the best rest-of-season outlook of of the three guys we've mentioned so far. is Trey Murphy, Larry Nance, Daniel Gafford. is guys that I think are probably in the, yes, I would consider using a roster move territory. Um, but you can't do all three. So I would go Gafford at the top of those... Um, Probably Murphy and then and then I guess Nance, although Nance perhaps more so, I'm thinking, on the Roto side. You know that one's a short-term one. That's why it puts him kind of at the bottom. Lakers are a two-horse team right now. AD and LeBron. We'll see what they do towards the deadline, so don't do anything in LA until that happens. We've already talked about the Pels. Phoenix at Detroit. Suns could be active headed into the trade deadline. This game probably blows up the Cam Johnson buy low window that we were screaming about late last week. They're going to continue to slowly ramp him up. Not going to play in back-to-backs. He was at 22 and a half minutes in this one. You'll probably see him at 23 or 24. They raced him. They got him back too quickly the first time around. You're going to see that reset itself. Also, Suns expect Devin Booker back this week. That's going to reshape the way things look for this team as well. So don't use any roster moves on Phoenix. Phoenix. I don't think I would use any roster moves on Detroit either. They're likely to be a seller at the deadline. Boyan Bogdanovich is a threat to get moved. Uh, Alec Burks is a threat to get moved. What does that mean for guys like Killian Hayes? Uh, Does Isaiah Stewart, who's questionable for this upcoming ball game, you can see there on the live viewers, can see left hip on their screen. Um, Stewart's actually been playing better lately. I don't know if this is something that's sustainable, but the fact that he's hurt now makes me think maybe I... Don't take that plunge. I was considering it over the weekend, but we'll go ahead and we'll squat on that one for now. Uh, Jaden Ivey had been playing better, although he missed all of his free throws pretty much in this ball game. Jalen Duren, kind of the same story. He had a rough one. You're going to hold those guys and hope that, you know, Duren's been fine. You're going to hope that Ivey continues to take little steps forward as young players tend to do. Uh, And then Sadiq Bey has continued to look pretty good for Detroit, but we don't really know what his deal is going to be. He's likely already rostered. Um, so, the question mark here, I guess, for Detroit is what do I do with a guy like Stewart? Uh, if you already have him, you hold him. If you don't, I think you probably just leave it leading up to the deadline uh, and then reassess after that. Not necessarily because he's going to get moved, but because I don't think that his roster spot is important enough. He's below my would I or won't I use a move on him thing. And then with Alec Burks, if, you know, I, I get it, there's probably a desire to move on. But if you have him on your roster, you probably just want to hold through the deadline at this point. Um, He likely becomes one of the guys that you can drop near the deadline. Boy, we're going longer than I planned on this one. I got to wrap it up before my voice completely disappears. Clippers, nothing. Uh, Norman Powell, okay, not nothing, I guess. Powell's been able to kind of do enough. Uh, as the, the gunner off the bench, it was an overtime game also, and Powell kind of went crazy late for the Clippers. He, again, to me, profiles more as a head-to-head play than a roto play. And nothing I've seen has kind of moved me off of that marker. Um, uh, boy, everything good that happens to the Clippers happens when Nick Batum is on the court, doesn't it? Fantasy-wise, he had a better ball game here, but, you know, there's just too much old age with Batum. I can't... I can't take that plunge anymore. Um... Clippers might make some moves the deadline, though. Maybe there will be a little addition by subtraction goes on with this team. You just kind of thin it out a little bit. We shall see. Portland, Drew Eubanks, low-end center backup so far. He's kind of done not as much, actually, as we expected. He's been battling some back stuff, being classified as a lumbar strain, but he's been playing through it, and that's probably why his numbers haven't been quite as good as we expected. Uh, I would hold him if you picked him up to fill in for Nurk. No reason to move off him now. Uh, And I would continue to start him. I think he'll generally be better than he has been, provided he can kind of get right from this injury stuff. For the Bulls, they are an actual... There are stash possibility. I don't think that they trade their stars. They're in the play-in. They can't tank fast enough. But at the same time, they could get a ton. So they could kind of start a rebuild... The problem with the Bulls is that this becomes almost like a lame duck season. They've won too many games to this point to really tank effectively. So they would get a bunch of picks, but you know they might not be good enough picks to use. Their own pick might not be high enough to start a rebuild quickly. The team that they get the picks from is presumably getting better. So those picks probably won't be immediate in nature. So Chicago has a really tough decision, and, and when teams are faced with that, you usually see them just continue to play it out because it, it almost hurts too much to, to start the rebuild knowing that it's going to take a little while. Most teams prefer to to do like the rapid-fire rebuild. You know, trade someone and be really bad. And the Bulls are not quite really bad enough. So I think they probably stick the way they are. Thunder, nothing really there. I know Jalen Williams wasn't uh, good in this ball game, but you can continue to kind of ride him out. We still haven't seen Jeremiah Robinson Earl back uh, that is my area of concern. Does that take some of the function away from Jalen? But we haven't seen it yet, so, you know, you're kind of waiting. Uh, Houston Tar-Eason at 18-8 and with a steal, like, 25 minutes. That's sort of all we're asking for with that dude. They've got guys in and out of the lineup. Jalen Green was back, but he was terrible in this ballgame. Um, Jabari Smith was in there. He was also quite bad. Kevin Porter Jr. is still kind of out indefinitely. Eric Gordon was sitting on a back-to-back. He's probably going to get traded somewhere. If you are already holding Eason, I would do so. It's probably too late to use a move on it now. Don't you think? I don't know. I guess you could, but I think this was one that we tried to wanted to try to get on before trade deadline week. The Heat. Um, no Depot, no Lowry. Gabe Vincent is a maybe when those guys are out. Caleb Martin is a maybe when those guys are out. Uh, I would not use a roster move on them this week. Keep an eye on Miami. They could swing some sort of deal leading up to the deadline. Leave them alone for now. Chris Middleton up near 20 and a half minutes. So he cleared the 20 threshold. Uh, and he was fantastic, actually. Middleton finally starting to really look like himself. I, I'm, I feel more confident that he's going to be able to kind of see this one through. I hope, cross your fingers. Uh, My initial thought was that I wasn't going to start him in Roto until he got around 24 minutes, but he's been so damn good lately that maybe I amend that to more like 22. He's probably startable. Uh, Grayson Allen had a good ball game. That's not going to be super reliable. Pat Connaughton's been a little bit better here with Bobby Portis out, but those guys profile more as schedule streams, which again, you are, wags his finger, not doing at the beginning of trade deadline week. This was Denver with everybody back in um, and start the starters. KCP got hurt, so Bruce Brown would do more if any one of those guys is out going forward. We already know that about the Nuggets. Trey Young sat out the end of this uh, Atlanta kind of a difficult schedule stretch, but you're not making any moves there. John Collins on the block, always on the block. If Collins gets moved, there isn't really like an obvious stash. Bogdan Bogdanovich would be the one that you'd be like, oh, well, he probably makes sense as they maybe go a little bit smaller, but they could just bring somebody in. You don't know who comes back. I'd still leave it alone. I, ah, BBM. I wasn't idle for that long. All right, let's go to Friday and play the who didn't play over the weekend game. It's got to be somebody, right? Charlotte, Detroit, Portland, Washington, Sacramento, Indiana, Phoenix, Boston didn't play over the weekend. Uh, they're pretty straightforward. Celtics, I don't know how much wiggle room they have if they're going to do something small. They kind of have their pieces already. Marcus Smart's out, so Derek White and uh, and Malcolm Brogdon are a little bit easier to play. They didn't score much in this one, so don't you know read too much into that. It was generally a terrible game for the Celtics, but you know I do a whole lot with Boston unless they swing a large trade leading up to the deadline. Uh, San Antonio is another one where you know we've talked about Zach Collins. He's really the only guy that you're squatting on, maybe leading up to the deadline. I wouldn't pick up anybody on the Spurs leading up to the deadline this week. Um, Malachi Branham has been backing up Trey Jones. Uh, Josh Richardson is a candidate to get moved, so you're not going to use a move on him. And that's why if you were doing Zach Collins, you needed to do it last week because at this point, you just sort of ride it out. Uh, Orlando we talked about. Minnesota we talked about. Toronto, Houston, Atlanta, and Utah, the last one on the board. Utah is interesting because Jared Vanderbilt is questionable for their next ball game. He's also very much on the trade block. If he gets moved, we don't really know what Utah might get back. Uh, but Vanderbilt going somewhere else, if that somewhere else was a place where he would see 26 or 27 minutes, he would be an interesting stash. Don't do anything with it this week if you didn't do it before because you don't know where he goes. He could get moved to a team that plans to use him You know, 22 very robust bench minutes but that's not enough. We have to be so judicious this week. One thing I will say though is Kelly Olynyk playing full minutes, that was one that was a move we should have made over the weekend because he now looks like a rest of season play unless Utah decides to blow it up, which it's looking more and more like they will not do this year. A healthy starting Kelly Olynyk is worth a roster move this week even because we saw he was a top 80 guy as the full-time starting power forward on that team. Top 80 is worth it, even if you have to use up one of your roster moves. So if you're looking at a Linux, we talked about Larry Nance, we talked about Trey Murphy, uh, and I already forgot who the, the last one was that was on our board there, uh, Daniel Gafford. So I would have a Linux at the top, then Gafford, then Trey, then Nance. Of the four guys where I said I would at least strongly consider using a roster move on them uh, early in this week, that's the way I would order them. Let's take a look at what's coming up tonight, and then we can put a bow on this bad boy. Boston is in Detroit. Uh, We just talked about the Celtics. Uh, They'll, I'm sure, play better after a couple days off, a little bit of rest in that one. Detroit, not a whole lot. You know, do they adjust any minutes here leading up to the deadline with a guy like a Burks or a Killian Hayes and Duran and the young guys? I almost trust Detroit more against a good team because they won't have to artificially tank. They can just lose organically. Cleveland. Uh, Karis LeVert is on the block. He's been questionable for a while. It's possible that's why. He might actually be hurt. Washington, Beal, Kuzma. What does that do for the remaining guys? I know you're going to be tempted. You know, games cap side, where you don't have a roster limit, then obviously you can... None of what I've said is applied to you. If you want to pick up some of these guys and stream them for a day or two on the roto side, go for it. Uh, Because, you know, you don't have a weekly moves limit most likely. But Head-to-head uh, head side, I do I do think Gafford's the guy that kind of stays above, but we'll wait and see who plays for the Wizards in that one. Clippers, nothing really. Brooklyn, this is the zombie Nets game, so again, if you want to try to squeeze out a game of value and you don't have a weekly moves limit to worry about, Cam Thomas, Edmund Sumner, Sumner Royce O'Neal, all these guys have been very solid, uh, but things are going to change dramatically for Brooklyn starting on probably Wednesday. Spurs, uh, I wouldn't dig too much into this one you might see even more bubble wrap than usual with the veterans but it's hard to know in advance Chicago nothing Sacramento nothing Houston it's really just kind of tracking minutes for a guy like an Eason or what are they doing with some of their other veterans do they let those guys play here leading up to the deadline zombie Mavericks Luca sounds like he's still hurt Christian Wood is likely still out but he's a maybe uh Finney Smith is gone Dinwiddie's gone you know you'll have a game here where guys like Josh Green are gonna have to do a truckload. Tim Hardaway Jr. is gonna probably have to take about thirty five shots, but this is a one day thing. We talked on the show a bunch about the Fantasy one night stand. This is the definition of it when you know a player is gonna be here for the next ball game. utah I, I don't really have a whole lot that I'm paying attention to in Utah. uh you know, if they make a trade with a team like the Lakers or whatever and Conley goes to l a I think we've heard Beasley attached to a trade, possibly to L.A. Um, then obviously things change substantially. Someone like a Colin Sexton would move into value in a situation like that. Uh, but you can't, don't pick up these guys, these backups. Like a Sexton, don't pick them up until the moment is right. But that's something to keep an eye on. Like if you hear about a trade, if you're a trade in, with L.A. and Utah's materializing, the guy you want to have your finger, just have your mouse clicker right on top of is Sexton. Because he's the guy that likely stays behind in a move like that one. Conley, uh, Beasley, whatever, filler to L.A. for Russ, who might get, you know, he would probably get waived by the Jazz anyway. Then all of a sudden, you've cleared out the backcourt. Jordan Clarkson still there taking his 20 shots a ball game, but all of, all of a sudden, Colin Sexton can step into, you know, a little bit of point guard stuff. So that's a guy, you're not stashing him. But you're getting ready. He's a guy you got to have on your like get ready board. OKC, okay, nothing really. Warriors, you know, we'll see what they look like without Steph, but with Wiggins, that's something to monitor today. Milwaukee, uh, Middleton's minutes, and then Portland—they're a threat to make a move at the deadline. It's just hard to know who would go in and who would go out. So it's not really so much a like paying attention to the individual ball game. You know, you can pay attention to Drew Eubanks minutes versus Trenton Watford and stuff like that. But um, not a whole lot else going on out there. And that is where I will stop talking because it is beginning to hurt me. Once again, I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Come join us on YouTube for uh, an upcoming show, won't you? Folks listening on traditional podcast channels, I love you lots, but I'd love to see you live. Find me on Twitter again, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, Ethos Fantasy B-K. And I'll be back tomorrow with, I hope, a little bit more voice. Have a great one, everybody.